0: ought to have the attention of all Americans. At the very least, we're going to feel the sting of the war that's going on there every time we put gas in the car. Granted, you know, there's a whole lot going on there. Um, Why that is, but prices are going to continue to go up. And we look out there and we think, man, the world has suddenly just run amok. Like, what is going on? (laughs) What happened in the last two years since COVID dropped? Russia really should be no surprise. Vladimir Putin has stated over and over again that he wanted the Ukraine. He wanted Crimea, and he took it, and he took the Ukraine as well. David Flink, as I alluded to earlier, has shared that the most progressive and socialist president ever in Chile has just been installed. So they are going to be facing harder and more scrutiny upon them as a church. What is it going to mean about biblical morality? What is it going to mean for them and their personal freedoms? What is it going to mean from them expositing God's word from the pulpit? Across the ocean, North Korea, in case you missed it, this week tested an intercontinental ballistic missile. Why would North Korea need an intercontinental ballistic missile unless it had an enemy in another continent? Iran? We think it's been quiet, but no. There have been negotiations between Russia and Iran with regard to Iran's trying to attain a nuclear status. And in the agreements in 2015, all nations, including Russia, have kind of put the kibosh on Iran's desire for nuclear weapons. But in the instability of the Ukraine, that agreement has now gone by the wayside and Iran is taking advantage of that. Staying in Asia, how long before China Crosses over and takes Taiwan. North of our own border, and in Europe and other Western countries, more and more we are seeing a greater hostility to biblical life. What is a man? What is a woman? And how dare you say anything different? What is marriage? What is biblical morality? and people are being arrested. In the words of Theoden King, how has it come to this? In the 1900s, right at the start, we thought, hey, we've made peace in our time. You know, no more will nation fight nation. But then World War I came And then World War II came. And out of World War II stood two extraordinary nuclear-powered sumo wrestlers nose-to-nose. The U.S. or the West and Russia. And who's going to break? Who's going to fall? Who's going to push the button first? And in the 1980s, Russia... Disintegrated. peace again in our time oh great the nuclear threat is over and here we are again in our lifetime we have not known in the united states poverty on a grand scale but how secure is the internet really you take down the internet and what will happen monetarily If your bank account was drained today, how long would your food last? And what could you grow in your yard right now when you need food? What if goods stopped flowing from China? How are you going to get paid if the internet is down? So this is a time of great panic for many. What do we do when we are faced with such great uncertainties? As believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we must turn to God's Word. And that is where we will turn today. To hear the voice of Christ and to anchor ourselves to the certainty of His Word for living our lives in the here and now as we look to our future. Let's let's pray together. God, here on this earth, under the sun... It seems that there is no stability for us to be found. We feel easily shaken by these uncertainties and now compound that with the political earthquakes across the globe. As we take time this morning to feed on your word, to hear your voice, we cast our anxieties upon you because you care for us, Peter tells us. We hear your call From Paul, to be anxious for nothing, and so we bring to you everything through prayer and petition. And even now, God, as we hear your word, we beg that the peace of God, which passes all understanding, would guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's read Matthew chapter 24. This is the week that Jesus Christ was executed. Starting at verse 1, it says, Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. But he answered them, You see all these, do you not? Truly, I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Now that itself had to be a bit of a startling statement to the disciples. So in the walk from the temple across the Kidron Valley to the Mount of Olives, probably took them a half an hour, 45 minutes, and they were able to think about what he had just said. Verse 3, As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ And then the end will come. You've got to love the disciples. The disciples were in such a relationship with Jesus Christ that they could just go, blah. They had a question and so they went, Bleh. There it is. Yeah, we, we, we've been walking across the valley going, when, when is this going to happen? When is this all going to go down? You know, Think about their relationship with the Lord, that they felt comfortable to do that. He loved them so much, they felt so secure in their relationship with Him, that they could ask Him anything. They didn't fear sounding foolish, because sometimes they really sounded foolish. They were unguarded before God. Are we? He beckons us to come. Will we? Do we? How comfortable are you asking God questions? Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Matthew 7 verse 7 says, He continues, Everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which of you if his son asks for bread will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask Him? James, Jesus' brother, wrote in his epistle, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. So comfortably before their rabbi, before their master, before their Christ, they asked him, when will these things be? When will be the sign of your coming? And what will be the end of the age? Jesus used this question to impart to his disciples what they needed to hear then, what we need to hear now. Oftentimes a politician, you ask the politician a question, the politician's going to go, Let me talk about this. And they don't answer the question. Jesus Christ answers their question, perhaps not in the form they were expecting or the format. But what we're going to see in our limited look at Jesus' answer, because it goes on through the rest of chapter 24 and into 25, what we will see today is the lead up to the end. And we will see the suffering that will come for believers, and when the end will come. And to these we turn our attention. So the lead up, first of all, in verses 4 through 8. Jesus answered them and said, See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. Jesus starts off with a warning He starts off with a warning to them specifically. I'm telling you this so that you will not be led astray. The implication is, is that you can be led astray. Not only that, there are false teachers who are coming. There are false Christs who are coming who will lead many astray? As you're reading through this section, the adjective that shows up over and over again is many. This isn't going to be a slight thing. Many will be led astray. I'm telling you this, saint, disciple, apostle, so that you will not be led astray. So he starts with a warning, because many will be Now, consider today those who promise to save you. Politicians promise to save you. The climate's changing. Well, some legislation we can put in place will save you. The racial unrest in the country. I can bridge the gap and I will save you. Poverty, we got that covered. We'll give you money and we will save you. Ignorance? No, we're going to teach, we're going to instruct, and we will save you. Let's defer to the scientists. They're the people who know they will save you. They will stop this pandemic. Yeah, no. They will help explain our origins. They will determine your psychological identity. And many others. Dietitians. Oh, if you just eat right, you can live forever. Not probably three months goes by where on the news media you'll say somebody has found something to extend the life of people. And we don't see people living much past 100 if they live a long time. Self-help gurus. CrossFit and martial art instructors. I'll save you. I will make you strong. Why are we led astray by false teachers? By false, sorry, by false messiahs. They appeal to our flesh. I want to be better. <laughs> Every one of us knows that yeah, we're probably not where we should be. And I want to be better. They appeal to my wallet. Ooh, maybe I can make it a little fatter. Maybe I can put a few more dollars into it. They will appeal to your pride. You will be stronger. You will be better. They will appeal to your need for God without leading you to God. They will ultimately lead you to your doom, contented, in pleasure, and oblivious. <coughs> Yesterday in the news, six West Point cadets. I mean, we're, we're, not, we're not talking from like just UT, we're talking West Point cadet, supposed to be the creme de la creme and honor duty, honor country, overdosed on fentanyl-laced cocaine during a rage, during spring break down in Florida. So laced with fentanyl was this that two of their fellow cadets who gave them mouth-to-mouth OD'd as well, just from the contact. We've got some pleasure for you. They were led astray. But here, face to face, the true Messiah, the true source of our salvation and our satisfaction, warns us against such charlatans. But even as Jesus Christ warns His disciples, He follows up with comfort. He says in verse 5, See, For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will lead many astray, and you will hear wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed. For this must take place, but the end is not yet. See that you are not alarmed. You go, why would he say that? Because this is alarming stuff. This is alarming. Wars and rumors of wars, nations rising against nation. Yeah, that's alarming. Russia, how far is Russia going to go? Where's Putin going to stop? I don't know. If he gets to Ukraine, is he going into Poland? Probably. Latvia, Lithuania, Estonia, huh? Where's China going to stop? I don't know. But here, the Prince of Peace, the Son of God, tells us, do not be alarmed. Jesus isn't providing you some kind of happy illusion to get your mind off reality. He isn't giving you fentanyl-laced cocaine. He's not giving you, if you're a Brave New World fan, Soma, to uh, make you feel God in the midst of the agony that is your marriage, that is your work, that is your government, that is your life. He says, do not be alarmed. Wars and rumors of wars. You know, we, we, we're an arrogant people. We look, well, we're, you know, those people, but yeah, you don't want to go back to the 50s and Ozzy and Harriet and all this. And we, we besmirch and we dismiss the people of the past. But with all of the technology of the 20th and the 21st century, you know what we're still doing, people? We're blowing each other up. Boom. A young Christian noted on Twitter here after the invasion. He said, I can think of a zillion other better ways to settle a disagreement than deciding to kill people. War is stupid. But Jesus Christ himself said, this is going to happen. As Christians, we shouldn't be living such pie in the sky, rose colored lives that we don't get it. When one nation invades another. I mean you look at Putin's reasons. You go okay I don't get it. But because of the darkness. Of my own heart. If I were to extrapolate that out. I go I get it. I get it. Until the prince of peace. Rules on the earth. There will be. No peace until death and sin exist no more men will ever be at war but jesus says these things must come these things must take place place saint anchor yourself in this truth that god has a timetable God's not sitting in some office stressing about what is going on. What is wrong with these people? No, he knows full well and he's got purpose and he's got plan. But not only does he have a timetable, you are on that timetable. That timetable is going to carry us to the shores of glory where no more tears will be shed and no more blood will be spilt. Jesus says, see that you are not alarmed. Your natural man, your flesh is going to panic. He's saying, don't. Well, choose not to. Well, okay, I'm going to just will myself. No, 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 no. I'm not telling you to, again, think, okay, I'm just not going to be worried. Because you'll be worried. If you think about, okay, I'm not going to be worried, I'm not going to be worried. What are you going to be? Worried. You're going to worry. You're going to worry that you're worried. And it's just going to be terrible. Like this. But I have to have something in which to anchor that will cause me not to worry. You, saints, are in the hands of the living God. Jesus Christ says in John chapter 10, nothing will snatch them from my hands. Nothing. Our God is immovable. Our God is unshakable. Our God is an anchor. The one who holds us in his palm will not loosen his grip. Fear not. These things must come. As we studied the attributes of God yesterday, I've spent a lot of time in the prophets and in the Psalms And if you need to anchor your heart in the living God, read the prophets and read the Psalms and see God's glory manifest over and over again. A great place to find a firmness for the foot of your heart. So what's going to come? Nation is going to rise against nation. Verse 7, we see... That will happen, kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. Okay, we see nation against nation, famines. Have we ever, you know, it's, it's not even the Dust Bowl. It's not the 1930s. We got technology again. But could it be that if, the internet is taken down. How many tractors run off GPS positioning anymore? What about the irrigation systems that depend on satellites and time of day and computers to run properly? Boom, that all goes away, and the rain stops. Anybody been to United here in the last O year? And you walked in, you looked for a loaf of bread, and you couldn't find a loaf of bread? Because of why? Because people are hoarding it? Because the trucks can't get in? Can we imagine that famines will come? Jesus Christ says famines will come. But even in our arrogance and our hubris, we go, well, we've got the technology to stop all that. Who can stop an earthquake? Now we've got little sensors all over the ocean floor and stuff to measure tremors. I mean, you can go to the GEO website for the world and see where tremors are today, where the big ones are, where the bad ones are, and they're happening all the time. Well, why do we do this? Well, to hopefully try and predict the big one, but all we can do is watch. We can't stop it despite what you might have seen on a Star Trek episode. They knew Mount St. Helens was going to blow, and God, with a word, blew the top. Job declares, He who removes mountains, and they know it not, when he overturns them in anger, he who shakes the earth out of its place, and its pillars tremble. Job 9, verses 5 and 6. Jesus tells us these things will come. Not that they will come, they must come. These things must come. I'm telling you this. But will we acknowledge God's hand? Will we acknowledge his sovereignty? Will we acknowledge his protection? Will we acknowledge that these things are going to happen? Will we declare and believe, Oh God, you have your hand on the tiller. You've got the steering wheel. In the midst of these tumultuous seas, Jesus Christ is asleep in the boat. Why? Well, because the seas are even at his word, even as he sleeps. And as he wakes and says, be still, the waves stop. He commands the storm to rise. He commands it to fall. He brings nations out for his good purpose. These things must be. And to add to the sobriety of the moment, he says, eh, this is just the beginning. This is, this is labor just getting underway. Now, I've never been in labor. Uh, for those of you who have, um, some of those early Birth pangs are doozies. But they're nothing compared to the ones that come. That get much harder. And much more severe. Jesus says this is the beginning of the birth pains. He transitions then to explain. How bad it will get. They will deliver you up. verse 9 to tribulation and put you to death and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake who is they they are the ones who are opposed to christ those are the ones who hate christ you will be hated oh not merely by russia you will be hated not merely by this political party or that political party. You will be hated by all nations. You will deliver, be delivered up to tribulation. This is not, Jesus speaks in the, later in the chapter in verse 21. He says, then there will be great tribulation, such as not been from the beginning of the world until now, no, and never will be. This is not of that, that of which he speaks, this tribulation. This is suffering. It is, it is, the, the word means the squeezing of the grapes. It's squeezing the juices. It is a suffering. A time of suffering and travail. And for many, it will come to death. I heard rest recently watching a show where they were basically saying, you cannot live, you cannot attain to the uttermost unless you have a fear of death. I go, no, that is not the Christian word. The Christian word is to live as Christ and to die as gain. The saint ought not fear death. When we hear death, okay, I, I, I don't want to die. I mean, that, that's a real thing. But I know death is coming in some way, shape, or form. He says, he says we're going to be hated by all nations. Why are we hated by all nations? As bad as the persecution has been for the Jews for thousands of years, so it will be for believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. The truth and the glory of Jesus are a stench in the nostrils of those who do not know Him. We will be hated for His name's sake. Jesus told His disciples before He was executed in John fifteen eighteen and 19. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. We see this unfolding right now. David Flink has sent pictures from Chile of churches, cathedrals, that were spray-painted with an anathema, a hatred against christ and his church i mentioned earlier the arrests that are taking place in western countries for those who are proclaiming the truth of the gospel and in africa even today churches are underground for fear of being slaughtered by muslim extremists in their country man cannot be indifferent to god it's a love or hate relationship if you love god or you love the world you love god or you love the world you cannot serve god and mammon you will love god you will follow god you will follow hard after the world if you love the world it may be that you will have a hatred toward god jesus could not be more clear about this in his teaching it is an either or prospect God will not wrestle with deliberations on Judgment Day. He's not going to be going, Oh man, I really don't know. Like some judges wrestle with cases here in our country. It is not going to be a problem. The sheep and the goats, God is not going to have a problem. Do not be deceived. Because of this, many will fall away. says in verse 10 so much so that they will betray one another and hate one another the enticements of pleasure will cause them to reject their brother and sister in christ the fear of pain and death or i'm not simply willing to suffer the inconvenience of naming christ so much so that there's going to be betrayal and straight-up hatred Verse 11 says that not only will will there be false messiahs, but there will be false prophets and false teachers. Many, many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. A gospel of prosperity. A gospel of prosperity. Wealth and health. A gospel of social healing. Yes. No. It's a false gospel. The gospel... Of Jesus Christ. This is why throughout the New Testament. Warning after warning after warning. Of false teacher. Rises up. And because lawlessness will be increased. The love of many will grow cold. Lawlessness without law. The moral shackles are taken off. Where do we see that? That is our culture. There is no moral restraint. Because parents don't teach their kids in their home. Schools now want to take that authority. And if parents go, hey, you don't have the responsibility to teach my children morally the right and the wrong, especially when you're going to go contrary to God's word, the school gets upset. The government gets upset in some states. This is the hue and cry in Florida right now and georgia possibly as well but when we take the moral shackles off and lawlessness is increased we see a result of that is the love for one another grows cold my personal autonomy that's what matters and who are you to say what i can do My passion for myself and my pleasure blinds me to you and your needs. This is Paul's description to Timothy of the last days. Hear it in Second Timothy 3, 2 and 4. People will be lovers of self, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving the good treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Saint, how brightly will those who follow Christ shine against that backdrop? How crystal clear will it be those who are unashamed of the gospel? How crystal clear will it be for those who love people even if they are our enemies? if we desire that they not go to hell, that love will bring some to the cross. More on that in a bit. And that will take us to what Jesus says, the end that will come. Verse 13 and 14. The one who endures to the end will be saved. This gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations and the end will come. The one who endures to the end will be saved. The one who perseveres. What is the end? It could be your death. It could be until Jesus comes. The whole implication here is the coming judgment. If you persevere to the end of this, if you do not capitulate, if you do not give in and forsake your Christ, you will be saved. I do not have the strength to persevere. Only in Christ can I persevere Who will keep running when they can run no longer? Who will take the next step? Paul knew how to bear plenty. Paul endured and he recognized that in Christ he could do all things through him who strengthened him. It wasn't say, hey, I could be a football player. I could be a doctor. That's not what he meant. It meant he could endure plenty. He could endure suffering. And Paul endured suffering. Saint, hold fast. Do not go astray. Our suffering here is but a moment in the scheme of eternity. It's like getting pricked by a rose thorn. Ow! And it's done. Death will come. Some of us may suffer brutal, difficult, horrible deaths. Some may suffer, not at all. We die in our sleep. And then we will see the glory of our Savior. None wants to die necessarily, But death is a veil through which we must pass. It must come. If we endure to the end, we will be saved. God tells us that precious in the sight of him is the death of his saints. Isaiah declares that the righteous man is taken away from calamity. He enters into peace. They rest in their beds who walk in their uprightness. Speaking of death. And before the end will come, the gospel must go to all nations. How will they hear unless they are sent? Remember, all of this darkness that is going on, how brightly will we stand in contrast to all of that which is going on right now? This gospel will be a testimony to all nations. It will hold them accountable when God judges them against what they have heard and what they have known. And as I said, some will Be saved. Who will know? That's not your responsibility. Our responsibility merely is to be a witness. Even when we are rejected, we don't know the work that God is doing in the hearts and minds of men. So who will go? In Isaiah chapter six and verse eight, God stands on his throne, sits on his throne and asks, who will go for us? In Isaiah, this is an old reference, Arnold Horshack uh, he's like he's like the kid in classes going oh oh pick me pick me pick me there's one in every class you know it's all, always always the same kid but that's isaiah Whom, who will who will go and says, oh here i am send me ready willing eager it's on his heart now we have taught over again over and over again in this church and i taught about it when we went through third john not everybody is to go if everybody's going to go who's going to fund them who's going to fund the missionary who's going to be home to pray for the missionary where's the logistical supply going to come from for the missionary so not everybody can go but we do need people to go i can't imagine i had a belgian student this week speaks five languages i speak one that's embarrassing But there are some people who have a gift for languages who might have a heart and a desire to go. There may be some like me, like David Flink, who only spoke one Minnesotan language. eh? And David went to language school and now he is fluent. He still feels like a putz, but he's not in Spanish. It's a different language. It's a different culture. You may be serving in poverty, in a place impoverished. You may be serving in a place that has dysentery. You may be separated from friends and loved ones and not able to communicate with them. Who will go that others might know? It will be proclaimed through all the world and then the end will come. So where does that leave us today? Five things I just want you to take away from this. Please feel free and feel comfortable to ask questions of the living God. Like the disciples, feel free to come boldly before the throne of grace if you lack wisdom, to obtain mercy, to find grace to help you in your time of need. Second, don't be surprised by the chaos of the world. Jesus promised his disciples his peace. Not, them, not peace generally. They, he promised them his peace. Let us abide in that peace. Let us abide in Christ. Don't be surprised by that unrest. Second, or third rather, there are going to be people that you run into who are anxious about these events. We have an opportunity to introduce them to the Prince of Peace. We can point them to the one who sleeps in the tumultuous boat. Fourth, some of us are going to suffer hardship. Um, and it it may be bad and I hope we're prepared and I hope that not only are we prepared each of us to suffer that we are all prepared to come alongside one another in the midst of that suffering to help out maybe to help families of lost loved ones lastly let me encourage you and encourage myself even to pray about going not everyone's going to go I mean again if everybody goes there's no more church here But if so, so be it. Please, consider yourself. Pray for your kids. Maybe your kids might go. Until we breathe our last, the end is not yet. Let us rejoice in our God and Savior. Let us be unshaken by events in this world and in our city. And let us be about the business He has given us to do with a peace that passes all understanding. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word that anchors our heart and soul and mind. Oh God, that we would shine your word, that we would be light on top of a hill where people see your glory, where people see your love and grace. God, be honored here in your church. Help us as we go from this place to be the people you have called us to be. Guard us, heart, mind, and soul, and let this message not be plucked away. We beg in Jesus' name. Amen.